Now we've got a question to look at. And the question is, who needs a high priest? Well, if you've got a Bible handy, if you've got a pew Bible handy, you might like to turn to page 922. I will be reading through the, the passage as we go through it, but be handy if you've got it in front of you as well. Who's in charge here? Well, in the world around us, there are many isms of all sorts, political isms and religious isms. We've got conservatism and socialism and communism. We've got Anglicanism and Catholicism. Once, anarchism was quite a popular alternative around the world. The anarchists came in a variety of different shapes, sizes and flavours. But the fundamental idea was, if you don't have any leaders and you don't have any rules, everybody will get on just fine. Well, I think most people recognise that it doesn't really work that way. And unless somebody's in charge, chaos will ensue. In the book of Judges, we see just that happening. And the writer to the Judges, uh, the writer of the book of Judges, ends his book with the words, In those days Israel had no king, everyone did as they saw fit. Well, historically the ruler was the strongest individual, the one with the strongest supporters, the biggest army. In these days, in Australia, we're a constitutional monarchy. Our leader is Queen Elizabeth II, who delegates her authority to a governor-general and to an elected government. In our church, we've got bishops and priests and, de and parish councils who run things for us. Well, previously, as we've looked, if you've been here previously when I've spoken about he in Hebrews, you remember that the writer is a Hebrew Christian, a Jewish Christian, who's writing to Jewish Christians. And the whole emphasis of this letter to the Hebrews is that Jesus is superior to the Old Testament revelation. In the Old Testament, God delegated political authority to judges, to kings, to prophets, and spiritual authority was delegated to prophets and to a high priest. And the high priest's job was to guide people into a right relationship with God through a system of sacrifices. Well, we don't live under the Old Testament anymore. Do we still need one? Let's ask God to guide us as we look into this passage in front of us this evening to come to understand what his purpose is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word and we thank you for this letter to the Hebrews and for all that it teaches us. We pray that as we look into it this evening that you will help us to understand more of the priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, do we? Well, the writer doesn't ask that question. Do we need a high priest? He states a fact. And reading from Hebrews chapter 14, verse 14, 
chapter 4, verse 14, we read, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. The priestly system began after the Exodus, the time when God led his people, his nation of Israel, out of slavery in Egypt, led them through the Red Sea into the desert and to the mountain of Sinai, Saudi Arabia as it is today. And there God gave the law to his people through Moses. The main message was that sinful people cannot simply front up to a holy God. First we need forgiveness. We've asked forgiveness this evening in our service as we do every week when we meet together for the sins that we commit. We need forgiveness. And that forgiveness comes through a sacrifice. And God appointed through Moses, Moses' brother Aaron, to be the high priest who was the one to oversee this sacrificial system. Now, we read we have a new high priest. And what do we know about this great high priest that we have? Well, first of all, he understands us in verse 15. How does he understand us? Because he faced the same sort of temptations, problems that we do as he walked this earth. You probably remember the time when Jesus began his earthly ministry and he went out into the desert where he fasted for 40 days and he was tempted by the devil. He overcame those temptations and Undoubtedly, though, they were not the only temptations that he faced through, through his lifetime. He was a man. He was a human being just like us. And he faced temptations. And he understands what it's like. The next point that is made there is he brings us to the throne of God. He said in the last message that he gave to his followers before his crucifixion at the Last Supper. No one can come to the Father except through me. We cannot front up to God except through Jesus. He's the one who brings us to the throne of God. And his grace gives us all the help we need. At that same time, at the Last Supper, Jesus promised his disciples that whilst he was going to leave them physically, he would be sending the Holy Spirit to be with them and to enable them to follow him. And the grace of God comes through that Holy Spirit within us. The high priest we have. Well, what's he supposed to do? What's his job description? Well, as the writer goes on to chapter 5, he backtracks a bit to the 
Old Testament time, the old system, the old sacrificial system. And we read these words in chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honour. He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. Aaron, the first high priest, appointed by God. So what do we see there? He's chosen by God. That is why Christ did not honour himself by assuming he could become the high priest. He was chosen by God who said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. The high priest is not self-appointed, popularly elected. He's God's choice, just as Aaron, the very first high priest, was. Next, he represents others to God. He was the mediator between sinful man and holy God. But in the case of Aaron and his successors, he had to first offer sacrifices for his own sins before he could represent the people before God. He represents others to God. He presents gifts and sacrifices in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, there are almost, the whole book is pretty much given over to a whole list of rules and regulations about how mankind is to, is to relate to God, how the sacrificial off system works, what sacrifices were to be given in what sort of situations. And there were obligatory sacrifices and there were voluntary ones. There were free will offerings where somebody could simply give something because of their love for God. And they all had to go through the priest. He presented their gifts and their sacrifices. And he also needed to be able to deal gently with people. And because he was a man himself, we're talking about Aaron and his successors, because he was a man himself, he knew all about it. He understood it. Well, says our writer, Jesus qualifies for this position as high priest. Reading on from verse 7, While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. He was appointed by God. He was exposed to all the trials of humanity. He feels for us in our temptations and sorrows. He suffered 
in ways that we couldn't even imagine. He sacrificed himself and he represents us to the Father. He is our great high priest. Now you might ask, what was wrong with the old system? Well, first of all, there was human weakness. Aaron was the first high priest, as I mentioned, the brother of Moses, the man to whom God spoke directly and gave the laws, and even Aaron failed. The people had seen what God had done in Egypt. They had seen how he'd led them through the Red Sea, taken them through the wilderness to Sinai, And while Moses was up on the mountain receiving the law from God's hand, they got impatient. They couldn't wait. We read in Exodus chapter 32, all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down and moulded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Can you believe that? After all they'd seen, after all God had done for them, they thought their earrings had rescued them. How ridiculous could it be? And yet Aaron himself, this high priest, the first high priest, God's appointment, went along with this thing and allowed it to happen. Human weakness. Later on, in the time of Samuel, Eli was the high priest. He was an old man at the time when Samuel was around. And in the natural way of things, his sons should have become the priests after him should have followed him into that position of high priesthood. But we read in 1 Samuel 2, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the law. Again, back in Leviticus, there were rules about how the sacrifice was to be used. And part of sacrifices, most sacrifices, were a sort of payment to the priests. They were provided with some of the sacrificial meat, for their own use. But it had to be done in a certain way. But Eli's sons didn't like the way that God wanted it done. They decided they'd take what they were not entitled to. They also slept with the women who were working in the temple. They were utterly unsuited for ministry in God's name. They were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Human weakness made the system unsatisfactory, ineffective. There was also human appointment. God decreed that the high priest and the priesthood should be descendants of Aaron. But later on in time, after the exile, we find that there were many high priests who were appointed not by God, not because they were descendants of Aaron, but they were appointed by foreign governments. 
for the last 200 years before this letter to Hebrews was written, Israel was under the control of first the Greek and then the Roman governments, and they appointed their own high priests. In the New Testament, we read about two high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. They were appointments of the Roman government and completely unsuited to the job that they held. The old system was broken. The old requirement about the, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless, as we read in chapter seven of Hebrews. Human weakness, human appointment led to the whole system of sacrifice in the Old Testament simply not working. Well, now our writer goes on to talk about a different order. And here we have a strange mystery man, Melchizedek. And in verse 6, chapter 5, we read in another passage, God said to him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Oh, who is Melchizedek? God, in 5.10, God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Well, we don't know very much about this fellow Melchizedek, but we're told in chapter 7, verse 1, this Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem and also a priest of God Most High. Salem has been identified almost certainly with Jerusalem. Melchizedek was a king of Jerusalem. And his name means king of righteousness and Salem, king of Salem means king of peace. What more do we know? We have to go back to Genesis, to, the story, to a story of Abraham. There was a time in the life of Abraham when kings from the north country went south and attacked kings from the southern country. And they took plunder, as they often did in those days, and a whole lot of captives, including Abram's nephew, Lot. And Abraham raised his own army, chased after the attackers as they were returning to their northern kingdoms, defeated them, rescued the captives and the plunder, and headed back south again. And as the story goes on in Genesis 14, we read, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. We read a bit more about this in chapter 7 of Hebrews, which we won't go into in any detail tonight. But... What is this order of Melchizedek? Well, to be honest, we know very little. I've read just about everything there is to say about him. Why didn't God tell us more? 
Well, the Bible tells us all that we need to know, but it does leave us a lot of little mysteries unexplained, which we'd love to know the answers to. And how does Jesus fit in to this order of Melchizedek? Well, we have to speculate to a certain extent. Abram, Abraham, as he became called later, was called by God out of a pagan culture in the south, southern Iraq. To call, he was called to follow God and become the patriarch of God's chosen people. We're told here that Melchizedek was a priest of God Most High. How did that happen? Was he called in a similar sort of way to Abraham from a pagan environment? We, we don't know. Did the people of Jerusalem worship God Most High whilst Melchizedek was their king and priest? We don't know that either, but we do know that they weren't worshipping God five or six hundred years later when Israel moved into the Promised Land and destroyed Jerusalem and its people. Unlike Abraham, God didn't make Melchizedek the ancestor of a special people. And unlike most of the other characters we read about in the Old Testament, Melchizedek has no recorded ancestry or descendants. You read through the Bible and you read about Joshua, the son of Nun, and you read about all these other people who are identified by their parentage. Melchizedek isn't. He's quite different. He's one of a kind. In chapter 7, verse 3, our writer speaks of there being no beginning or end to his life. How can that be? Well, we can't take that literally, otherwise he'd still be hanging around today. And I don't think anybody's met him recently. But in terms of his priesthood, there was no beginning, no end. And Jesus is, in a similar way, unique. No beginning and no end. He is the priest and the king, just as Melchizedek was a priest and the king. Under the Old Testament system, Israel's priests were all descendants of Aaron, of Levi, in the tribe of Levi. Israel's kings were all descendants of Judah. And Jesus himself, the eternal Son of God, is without beginning or end. Well, he was one of a kind. God gave Israel a system. What's the point of all this? God gave Israel a system to relate to him. It showed the offence of sin and the need for forgiveness through sacrifice. We still sin. We still need to confess our sins. We still need forgiveness. We're limited by human sinfulness. Working through priests, themselves sinful, could never be more than an illustration 
of true forgiveness. And our writer says in 5.3, that is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs, when he speaks of the Aaronic priests. We need a new system. We need one that works. Now in Jesus, our great high priest, we have a system. A system that's not limited by human weakness. A system which is superior to the Old Testament example. And the writer, if you like to read on in chapter 7 sometime, you'll see how the writer emphasises the superiority of Jesus, the superiority of this Melchizedek order, this order which goes on forever. Abram gave a tithe of his possessions to a priest and king. As I mentioned, the priests in the Old Testament came from the tribe of Levi. The kings came from the tribe of Judah. Here we have priest and king in one person. Now back in New Testament times, there were Jewish teachers who had the idea that there were to be two messiahs. There was to be one messiah coming from the tribe of Judah, who was going to be the political messiah, and a second messiah from the tribe of Levi, who would be the religious messiah. Maybe, as our writer writes to these Hebrew Christians who are thinking of going back to their roots, maybe he needs to emphasise that point to them, that there is one Messiah who is both priest and king. Priest and king and and a priesthood which is not to be interrupted by the death of the priest as it always was in the Old Testament. Well, who needs a high priest? We do. As we read in, back in chapter 4, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Just like the Old Testament priest, Jesus stands between us and God. But he's offered one, once for all, sacrifice for sin. He doesn't have to keep on offering week after week, year after year, as the Old Testament priests did. And his sacrifice brings true and full forgiveness. That's the sort of priest we need. He is the one through whom God has spoken his final word, which is the emphasis of the whole of this letter to the Hebrews. Jesus is God's final word. You may remember the time in the Gospels when Jesus took his closest disciples up onto a mountain and there they saw his glory and they saw him speaking with two of the Old Testament greats. And then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. 
Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will help us to always listen to the message that we receive through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the sacrifice that he's made on our behalf. We thank you that he is the one who is our great high priest and king. And Lord, we pray that we will serve him faithfully throughout our lives to give glory to your name. Amen.